we should think about how we kick this off really quick. Let's just roll. Yeah, well, let me say this. I like when people, when they kick it off and they kind of have a procedure like, what's up, y'all? This is episode blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I, I, f*** it. Let's go. Three, two, one. Awesome. Feels good to be back. You know, I'm most excited to have you here, mostly for your drone and your GoPro. So what kind of things do you think you'll do with the drone? Because I was thinking about that recently. I'm like, damn, like, was that a good purchase? Like, what, how much are we going to actually use this drone? I mean, when I see drone footage and it's done well, when you incorporate it and it makes sense, it's not just drone footage for the sake of drone footage. I think it looks really good and helps. I mean, obviously, drone isn't something everybody has. So immediately it's like, oh, cinematic professional. So, yeah, when you bring that, I'm going to be definitely playing around with that. Maybe aerial shots inside like of, of, of a stunting. That would be pretty dope. Yeah, I feel like drones really help set the stage for, you know, whatever you're making. The other thing is you can, like you said, you can get really cool shots. So lately I've been thinking about how I want to post more on my Instagram about what I'm up to with the Ultra because I rarely talk about it on social media. And I think it's a, a pretty cool thing and I enjoy talking about it with people. And I was like, how could I get a good picture that's not super cliche? And the drone is one way of doing that. It's like an angle that you never really get to see or, or can really get, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's a cool it's a cool thing to use. The GoPro too, obviously, like being on somebody, you can get all kinds of cool point of view shots that really open the eyes to especially with cheerleading. I've done it one time. I've had one stunt session with a GoPro and I had to have watched that video like a thousand times because I was like, Wait, this is so cool. I had it on me and then I had it on the girl. And when I watched what she did, I was like <laughs> I was like, yo, I vomited watching that video. How do you do this and not feel like you're just going to absolutely plummet back to the ground. It's crazy. You know what? So th that actually, that reminds me of something I've been wanting to ask you. How do you know how to coach these girls in the body positions? And like you, you were saying the last time we podcasted, how you were explaining to a girl, Hey, like as you're going through this motion, as soon as you see the, see the back wall, pull your hands to your pockets and the stunt will hit. How do you know that? Like, where did you learn that considering you're not the one flying? Yeah, it's funny that that stuck with you. Oh, man. Actually, great story. I'm glad you asked that question because I just shot a video. I just did a video with Dan. Dan has a YouTube channel, Dan Bayeski. I'll, I'll plug him here for anybody who's listening, interested in cheerleading. He has a great YouTube channel. He's got like 20,000 plus subscribers now. He's doing really well with it. But he does like vlog style cheer videos, mostly stunting. It's the the majority stunting. It's not like a day in my life as a cheerleader. But we just, um, I did a hand in hand. And what a hand in hand is, is when you do a handstand on somebody else. I did a handstand on him. And when I did, you'll see the video. It's really funny. And maybe we can like somehow incorporate it. Or we'll just post it on our um, Instagram page. I did a Purdue up. And, and that's basically like you you jump from the floor into a handstand onto another person. Now, that's something normally the girl does. I have such a higher level of respect for the flyer after doing that because the first time I tried it, I was like, I thought I was going to die. I was staring at the floor and I thought I was just going to go face first into the mat. And I didn't and then eventually got comfortable with it. But I was like, man, I have so much more respect for what you all do. Um, so that was that was a side note. It was just the first time I'd ever done that. Honestly, you just saying that, I kind of went through in my mind what that would be like and what that would feel like. And it's like, uh, absolutely not. Like, imagine you fall behind the other person, right? Like, I'm like, whoa. Yeah, I well, I don't know. And it's funny because, of course, as, as the male coaching the flyer, you know, if you're anybody who coaches a girl how to fly, 
nobody's been in the air. None of these guys have been in the air. So it's really difficult to sort of coach from that that level of like, hey, I've done this before because I haven't done this before. I've done my part, but your part's different. Um, which is why we bring girls with us when we go to clinics and events. And we're going to have one here at the space all the time. But um, the way that you teach it is just literally like you, you kind of look at the fundamentals and like from a physics perspective, a lot of everything that you do in cheerleading is a handstand. It's basically all we tell the girls. You're, you're literally in a handstand position the whole time, no matter what you're doing. Sometimes you're quite literally in a handstand, but um, it all starts there. And then it's kind of slight variations of what a handstand body position looks like. So wait, but, but they're not inverted most of the time. So, so what do you mean they're in a handstand body position? They're in like an inverted handstand body position, like a, a take a handstand where you're inverted and then flip it back. And that's kind of the position that they're in with like slight shifts depending on what they're doing. But it's all sort of that base of like a straight, a straight body. Um, and you just kind of manipulate it depending on the stunt that you're doing. And so, so is, would you ever prescribe that to a girl? Like, Hey, if you want to get a little bit more stability in the air and you don't have anybody to stunt with spend five or 10 minutes a day, just practicing your handstands. 110%. I mean, we literally have talked about how we're going to do straight up handstand clinics, like how to do a perfect handstand and give them all kinds of drills because girls in gymnastics and cheerleading, if you ask them to do a handstand, sometimes I literally am like, I am shocked at how bad their handstands are. I'm like, you're a cheerleader. Everything you do is a handstand. If you're doing a back handsprings, if you're doing front handsprings, if you're in the air, if you're in a hand in hand, it's all handstands. So the, when you see a girl with a bad handstand, I'm like, how have you done anything <laughs> in cheerleading? We all, everybody talks about it all the time, like all the coaches that I have. So yeah, we're, we're literally going to have like a we're going to, it's going to be mandatory, like handstand class at this, at this gym, a hundred percent. That's insane. It'll be really interesting to see how, I, I think you should find some girls who need improvement on their technique and say, Hey, spend five minutes a day doing handstands, non-negotiable for the next, you know, let's say two to three weeks. And I would be really interested to see how they progress. We'll give them, we're going to prescribe 75 75 hard handstand uh, edition where there's all kinds of handstand challenges you have to do for 75 days. No questions asked. You have to do 45 minutes of handstands inside and then three hours later, 45 minutes of handstands outside. Yes. <laughs> Every day. Yes. I, I, I'm serious. I'm serious because one small thing that completely changed my running is this exercise called pogo hops, which it's basically you kind of hop around like you're doing a jump rope, which except uh, instead of uh, bouncing off of your toes. You're kind of slapping the ground with your toes. And I noticed within two or three weeks when I started going on runs that my feet were bouncing off the ground so much better. And, and it was something that seemed almost unrelated to running because you're just slapping the ground with your forefoot. But then when I go and run, it had this massive impact on my running. And I would be so interested to see if you took a girl who's not that great, still learning, has, really has stability issues and had her do handstands for just a couple weeks, how big of an impact it might have. Because I'm sure within like a week, the body's going to start to adapt pretty significantly to those stability demands on the handstand. And then within two or three weeks, I'm sure that stuff would really like set in, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's really interesting too. Do you feel like you had um, any sort of like physical, did you notice anything like physical about that when you were doing that exercise? I feel like sometimes those exercises like that, that are more like plyometric focused, you don't necessarily experience any sort of like soreness or like anything like that. You just like start to like your reflexes kind of kick in. You're like, oh dang, I feel it. But like, 
I never really felt the progression. Does that make sense? That's exactly how it went down. So I did it, you know, just I was only doing it like two or three times a week, which is, you know, for plyometrics, actually the best because you're really supposed to even though when you do plyometrics, you're not supposed to do them until you feel fatigue, which I didn't learn that until recently. And I actually ended up with shin splints just recently because I was doing plyometrics too much and you're supposed to rest. I was doing them, you know, once or twice a week, maybe three times a week. And then I didn't really notice anything until like two or three weeks later, I went on a 13 mile run and I'm nine or 10 miles in and my feet are still bouncing off the ground. And what I mean by that, when I say bouncing off the ground is for anybody who's ever run, which is probably everybody listening to this podcast, you'll probably notice that whenever your feet hit the ground, they kind of, your calves your calf muscle takes the brunt of that that force and that impact force. You've probably noticed this, Bondi. Well, what I noticed after doing these pogo hops for two or three weeks is that instead of feeling like my muscle was taking that force, it just kind of like elastically bounced off the ground. And I was like even nine, ten miles in. And I was like, whoa, like I didn't even know that it could work like that. I didn't know your body could do that. I didn't know I could run without feeling my calf muscle absorbing all of this energy. And the theory, at least uh, what I've learned from research is you're basically stiffening your, your Achilles is one way to put, but I, I also believe you're, you're training that neurological response in your muscle to just quickly rebound. Dude, it's so neurological. I remember when I first got to college, we worked our strength in a strength and conditioning coach uh, who's phenomenal. I really liked working with him. I think I've worked with four throughout my my career in college. I, I worked with four different uh, strength coaches and each one of them had. It's so interesting to see everybody having like their own sort of take on things. Um, but the first one that we had was so heavy into plyometrics and we used to do all kinds of like depth depth drops off of boxes onto another box and I really feel like that that helped get me where I am today when it comes to plyometrics because um, for nothing else just the neurological stimulus that you get from dropping and then immediately going back up it's it's really interesting I started reading into that research because the literature on that kind of stuff is so fascinating, like sort of just the brain activity and how it impacts you neurologically to do exercises like that. So that stuff has always been something I love doing and would actually love to incorporate back into my routines because I haven't done something like that. And I mean, dude, I don't even know how long I've just been literally like doing curls and tricep extensions now. And and my favorite style of training is the stuff where you kind of like, it's more neurological, if anything, than um, than physical, you know? Yeah. So my, throughout my time training, I guess over the past, I don't know, six to eight years, I've never done plyometrics because they've never really pertained to me. All I've ever really been training for was to become a better lifter and to look good other than when I ran my marathons and stuff. But when I ran my marathons and stuff, I didn't realize that I could do things in the gym that could significantly impact my running. And I didn't really know what to do running. Well, now that I'm training for this ultra and I understand how much what you do outside of running can really impact your running. I I do a lot more plyometrics. And one of my goals for 2022 is to dunk a basketball. And so I've been doing those depth jumps that, that you were talking about and doing a lot of different plyometrics like that. And they are honestly really fun. I mean, one reason is because they're not fatiguing, which is nice to be able to do something where you're not killing yourself for at least a couple minutes in the gym. Um, 
yeah, I, I've, I've been really excited to come in and incorporate that into hybrid cheer as well. And I'm sure for you, since you're constantly stunting, it would be a good thing for you to bring that back into what you do. And it's something that you could just spend five or 10 minutes doing before every workout. Like maybe every day you target something a little bit differently or every other day, I guess I should say, depending on what muscle groups you're doing with the plyometrics, but something to easily do before you lift. You know, the nice part about doing that in tandem with the, the stunting, which is basically all I do now, is that I felt like my the mobility and sort of um, just stability in my ankles and stuff like that was good because I was constantly doing exercises that was working all of those really small muscles and tendons around my ankles and other joints that are, I mean, everything, he, knees, hips, um, all of that work just really helped me stay sort of in that sort of shape. And then I would go to stunt and that's exactly what you're doing. You're just jumping and landing repeatedly. And that's the one thing I've noticed that not doing the plyometrics now and continuing to stunt a lot, I feel like my ankles are tight or they just, they feel, they feel stiff and they feel like when I go to start stunting, it takes a minute for them to wake up because unless I'm stunting, I'm not doing anything like that. I get in the gym and I'm doing far more of, you know, the bodybuilding style uh, workouts, which aren't explosive at all and so I just feel like it's kind of like a shock every time I start stunting my body's like dang man like slow it down here you know I <laughs> we're not used to doing this and and it never used to be like that obviously I'm getting older obviously we're not old but um you know maybe that's kind of catching up but I feel like it was it was uh, really when I stopped doing that kind of stuff and the stunting that I noticed that my ankles and everything were just kind of more stiff yeah and on the flip side what I've been doing lately that's been very different for me. I think when most people go into the gym, at least I see this and I'm saying this from personal experience as well, because this was me too, is you just kind of show up and you lift the weight and you don't really think about how fast or how slow you're lifting. So sometimes you'll go in the gym and you'll see, see people lifting really fast. You rarely see people lifting really slow. You very rarely see that. And when I'm going to say this, I was kind of, you know, sometimes you'll go in there and you'll see a bodybuilder maybe doing bicep curls and they'll be doing them like on the eccentric going down really slow. And I used to think for whatever reason, I would look at them and think, man, what what a tool, you know, just like uh, grinding it out, you know. But once I educated myself more and learned, one, eccentric is where the muscle damage really occurs. And two, utilizing that eccentric, it's, 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 you get, I feel like you get more of a full muscle contraction because you're spending a lot more time in the movement and you're spending a lot more time in the places of the movement that you're not normally spending time. So you'll spend a little bit longer at the top and a little bit longer at the bottom, whereas normally you might bounce off the bottom or quickly go right back down. Well, an, an interesting thing that I picked up, and this is actually from our time at The Leech, which is so funny that our story kind of goes back and starts there, like when we first met. Uh, at the leech at Florida State, <laughs> it's just funny the um, the way that that sort of happened. But in in the classes that we we're taking there when we we're getting started, I just remember uh, you know time under tension is a principle that's obviously like widely uh, researched and documented in the world of um, of uh, strength and conditioning. And and when you think about if you think about it, you know there is that uh, maximum point of torque in a lift, any lift where you have the most amount of tension and when you reach that highest point of tension, um, you can reach tetanus, which is where you are stimulating your max stimulation for the muscle fibers. Um, that's obviously, that's a muscle biology term that they use to research um, different like 
means of contractions and and it gets really deep that's what the guy that i studied under did he was a, a muscle biologist and so um, a lot of people you'll see sort of skip that that peak uh, point in the lift if they're doing curls or something where they they let the weight drop and then they swing it back up and i'm like if you hit that that max point of torque, you know, where 90 degree angle for you know, a bicep curl, um, that's where you're really going to see all of that stimulation. So the longer that you can sort of let yourself fall through that phase, you're going to start to realize that, oh my God, this hurts. And it's because your muscle is truly contracting as much as it can for as long as it can. And, and that's where I think the eccentric... Um, you know, it's been a minute since I've like read up on a lot of this stuff, but I believe that's why eccentric, uh, it really it results in a lot of um, stimulation, activation, muscle growth, and for, for pretty much all types of training. Yeah, I think there's two things that have to do with when you when you target eccentric and through going slow through the eccentric portion is one, I mean, w what I've read multiple times now is that eccentric is where the muscle damage occurs because as you're you're applying that tension, but the muscles is lengthening, so you're you're forcing it to you're forcing it to stretch even though it's still under this tension. And then the second thing is when you slow down, like you said, you're fatiguing, but you're being you're spending more time in those areas that you normally just fly through, especially on a concentric. So for me, I've actually just been going slow through the entire movement just to really challenge myself. Honestly, neurologically and just get a better mind muscle connection and i know that sounds kind of toolish but i i have noticed and you and i talked about this that now that i'm moving slower i do feel a lot more engagement from those surrounding muscles one is i'm sure because the primary muscles are fatiguing so my body's constantly uh recruiting more muscle fibers and two you're not the the major movers I keep pointing to my chest because I think about bench when I'm talking about this because it uses so many different muscles in your shoulders and all that stuff. The major movers aren't just applying this force and giving that weight momentum and allowing your stabilizers to cheat a little bit. When you go slow, your stabilizers have to be more active because you're, the, the weight is moving slower. It doesn't have as much momentum. And so... I've just found so much benefit in that. And I think looking back, if, if I were to do cheer again, I would have spent maybe three to six months training, starting out slowly and then progressing my program where my tempos increase to a point where right before I got into cheer, I started doing plyometrics. And then when I would get into cheer, I'd be so much more prepared because all those stabilizers would be not only strengthened, but I would be moving into this explosive phase where I'd be so much more prepared where, you know, I ended up with an injury instead because I just went straight to the explosive stuff, just stunting every single day and I got destroyed. Bro, I, I am also, yeah, I feel like a, the, the injury in cheer is just something that Obviously, it hits you pretty quick, but yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. <laughs> My body hurts. It's definitely not good for the. It's not kind to the body. Um, but you said, I mean, I'll give you an example too. This this analogy here, I um, or I just just story on New Year's Eve because this is the kind of stuff we do on New Year's Eve. Uh, I was up in Connecticut at Kale's house, and he has a pull-up bar in his doorway, and it, part of my program, I do pull-ups. Every week, I have one day where I hit back, and it starts. It's a hundred pull-ups, um, and I start. I do. I do uh, pronated, and then I do supinated. So I do both, and there's some accessory work in between. But I have. It's like four or five seconds down, so it's really focused on the eccentric. And on New Year's Eve, we're there. Kale's got the pull-up bar, and of course, it's all like there's is me, Ronnie, Gage, Kirk, Kale, Nick, 
um, we're all like, oh, I want you like, you know, let's do pull ups, right? Of course, it's it's almost midnight. So I get on the bar and I can't tell you the last time I tried to just do as many pull ups as I could. And I'm talking like as many pull ups, like, you know, full extension all the way back up above the bar, not just like, okay, one, two, three, four, five. Um, and I did 22 pull ups straight, like full extension all the way back above. I was like, dude, I don't know if I've ever just gotten on a bar and done 22 pull ups, like cold and good pull ups at that. And I was like, it's because I've been doing this, all these eccentric pull-ups. I swear, my pull-ups feel so easy now. If I just do a regular pull-up, I'm like, I, it feels so easy. And it's definitely been all of the focus on the eccentric. So that's one story to tell you sort of. It's it, it's truly counterintuitive. I remember when we, were, we worked at the Leech, some of the women that we worked with, what they would do to help if there was a girl who one of her goals was to either do more pull-ups or just do a pull-up, what they would say is you need to train the eccentric portion. That's the way to to grow your pull-up the fastest. And I was always like, whatever, like that that, that doesn't make any sense. But that, I didn't know anything. And now that I've done research on eccentric, I understand that there is so much potential to increase strength, which it doesn't make sense because what we're looking for is the concentric portion. To do a pull-up, you have to be able to do the concentric portion of it. But for whatever reason, the eccentric really is able to do a lot of, I guess, quote-unquote, damage to the muscle and stress the muscle in a way that that encourages it to grow. It's just part of how our bodies work and, and adapt. It's very fascinating. Yeah, it is really fascinating. Um, and not to completely change the, the switch the the conversation, but I do want to talk about this because we're both semi in the middle of 75 hard. And I say semi because well, we're 75 soft, you know. Um, I want to bring it up because I think this is where people really do – uh, I don't want to say lack, um, but I think this is where people go wrong. You and I started 75 hard like what, uh, yesterday, two days ago, and we both have already kind of been like, you know what, we're, we're going to reset because we don't feel like we've been doing it the way that we need to and for a number of reasons that we can get into, but I think where you people know, might go- sorry, sorry to cut you off, but you said, you know, we, we felt like we didn't, we weren't doing it the way we need to. Andy one time was on like day 35 and he had like a couple crappy workouts that day and he just had a long day and he completed everything, but he's like, you know what? Like I didn't do it the way I, I, I intended. So he just restarted on day one and I was like, damn, like <laughs> I wouldn't have, I would have kept on going even if I completed everything, you know? Yeah. The reason I want to share that is because I feel like where people go wrong is that if you are doing something like 75 hard, people cheat themselves in doing, do, following the program. And then when they have a little mess up, I feel like people just aren't real with themselves. It's like, look, if the point is to learn discipline and follow this program for 75 days, no cheats. If you mess up, just own it. You know, like I feel like I want to share it and say, look, we, we messed up. We didn't do it the way we wanted to. I feel like there was actually a day that I, I didn't get in my gallon of water. Like, it might have been yesterday, the day before, um, and I was close, but I like woke up and I was like, oh my God, I, I had to finish my uh, what I had in, in my, uh, my bottle, and I didn't. I was like, I don't think I got the gallon, and I want to be open about it because we're not going to just throw in the towel. We're not just going to move to the next day. We're saying, no, we're going to reset because that's, what, that's how you get something out of it, but obviously, we've talked a little bit about sort of the experience and what things we think are you know, what we've learned from sort of what 75 hard is and then what our lives look like right now. Um, and that's something that I want to kind of touch on. So what have, I mean, what have you been experiencing? You've kind of had some, 
some uh, feedback on 75 hard. There's been a couple things in your head because you're training for an ultra marathon. So let's start there. I mean, how does that impact your ability to execute on 75 hard? You feel it. Yeah. So I've had, I've had some good and some bad. So to start with the good of 75 hard, part of my diet was one meal has to be comprised of completely whole foods. Well, even though I had already knocked out that meal, I still in the spirit of doing 75 hard, the next meal was basically all, all whole foods. And I, I, I don't eat my diet. It's not that great. It's not comprised of stuff like that normally. So I was already, things in my life were already changing in a way that, that made a lot of sense. But, but there were other, you know, I think, I think, you know, we, we jumped into it so quick and I think we need to think it through a little bit more because one thing that I am dead set on doing during 75 hard is not drinking soda. However, when you're running an ultra marathon, one thing that most runners do or a lot of runners do is they will drink Coca-Cola during the race to settle their stomach. When you run ultras, a lot of different things happen with your stomach. You have to eat while you run. And in order to settle it, most people will drink Coke. One, it has sugar, which is fuel. And two, just that carbonation will, will just settle everything. And so if I have to drink soda on a training run that's three or four hours long in order to train my stomach to be able to handle that when I run my ultra in May, I'm going to do it. I don't care if I'm on 75 hard or not. My priority is finishing the 50 mile run, not following this super strict diet that I set for myself. And so maybe that's the the key is, you know, we come back and we set very clear boundaries like that. And what we had talked about this morning was we set clear boundaries, but whenever we roll up on something like a gray area, we have a conversation about it. For example, my friend just started a seltzer company, an alcoholic seltzer company. You're not supposed to have alcohol in 75 hard. However, for me to not taste his seltzer that he's having an event for in two days would, to me, be completely disrespectful. And, and it's something that I've been supporting him along the way, and I feel like I should give him my feedback. And so, to me, that wouldn't be breaking the no alcohol thing because I have a specific purpose for it, and the purpose is not to get a buzz. or And it's obviously not going to affect my health just having a, a, a little taste to tell him how it is. Um, and so... We, we just have to really decide when we do reset this thing in like a week when I get there, h- how we want to approach it, if we want to do it. Because there, there are days I have four-hour runs. And, and do I want to go on a 45-minute, do something else for 45 minutes later on a day I just ran for four hours, you know? Yeah, and I think that's the caveat, right? There is times where certain boundaries that are set in 75 hard, for example, even though this applies to other programs as well that have a structure and a rigid one at that is that if you are somebody trying to do that you have to make sure here's the one rule that I think you should follow you shouldn't necessarily blindly walk into something like that and say yep I'm doing it I'm sticking all those guidelines because chances are you're going to find yourself where there might be a scenario where like you just said you're training for an ultra marathon you know this program is meant for you to become healthier and learn how to stay disciplined and not make excuses and with that though uh there's going to be times like you said where you're you're literally training for an ultra marathon you're not gonna you're gonna drink a soda you're not drinking a soda because it's a saturday and you're bored and you see soda in the fridge and you're like ah screw it you're like this is this soda serves a purpose as long as you define that before embarking on this journey of trying to adhere to this program i think that that's where it's it's, it's acceptable. It's fine. Where people go wrong, I think, is they just blindly walk into it, and then there might be an instance where there is, it makes sense for them to, you know, break sort of the program or cheat, but they didn't define it ahead of time, so you're not, what's the point in, you know, you could just make something up at that point, you know, 
if you are going to do something, I say you outline the rules in the way that you know you can follow. You write in all exceptions, and then it's something that you should start. And I think that's what we need to really be conscious of given this, you know, the circumstances that we're in. For sure. And you know what? Maybe we don't end up doing it. You know, maybe what we do, because the whole reason I felt like I needed to do it again was because I kept coming up with excuses to not go to the gym or to eat that candy bar or whatever. Maybe we just need to set non-negotiables for ourselves for at least a period of time and, and hold each other accountable. Because like you said, you had said that you missed some workouts and stuff like that. And if you're on 75 hard, you wouldn't. And it's like why, and I had mentioned this, Andy specifically designs the Live Hard program, which is a year-long program, so that after 75 Hard, you have to take a 30-day break. And the purpose is to get all those people who cannot be disciplined without a rigid program like 75 Hard. And it goes to show like why, I've already done 75 Hard and I still struggle to keep up with these things. Why can I only do it in the context of 75 Hard? And it goes to this thing that we were talking about earlier, which is all or nothing. It's People, including myself, including you, everybody, we all have this tendency to either go all or nothing on things. So whether it's a diet or a workout uh, regimen or, or whatever it is, is, I either completely follow this diet or I go completely off the deep end. I'm either working out five days a week or I ain't working out this week. Or I'm either working out for one hour tonight or I ain't working out. I ain't going to go do a 30-minute workout. It's like, well, that 30-minute workout would probably benefit you not just half of your hour-long workout, probably 80% of what your hour-long workout would get you. And you'll probably work out faster knowing you only have 30 minutes. And so, that's something we really need to be thinking about is, is this all or nothing thing as we do different things, you know, because we're going to be very busy the next rest of our lives. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's that's the interesting thing about something like 75 Hard is I think it serves its purpose. 75 Hard is meant to be that all or nothing mentality because as we just talked about, if you do end up uh, – not meeting one of the criteria one day, you have to start over. That's that if you're following the guidelines of 75 hard. And I think that in that, that serves its purpose. That's the point of 75 hard. Right. And there's a lot of value in it. There is yes. a, a lot of value in it. A ton of value in it. And I think that what people need to, at least what I can share from, uh, you know, what I want to share on here is that if you are somebody thinking about doing 75 hard, I think people need to understand that because I have heard now so many times people say, oh, I'm doing 75 hard. Well, except I'm also, I'm changing this and I'm also changing this. And I'm like, that's not the point. Wait, really? I, I haven't run into anybody saying that yet. Oh my, no, dude. I've heard that so often. I've, I've heard people who said doing 75 hard, but I'm going to change this thing and I'm going to like alter this slightly and I'm going to let myself have like one cheat day a month or like one cheat day a week. I'm like, that's not Wait, the that's point. crazy because that's exactly what Andy says not to do. Exactly. And don't get me wrong, I was just kind of talking about the alcohol thing and the soda thing, but I believe those are different than changing the program. Maybe the alcohol thing you could argue against, but the soda thing, it's like, no, that is a tool for running. And if it's not soda, it's going to be a sugar drink that I and need honestly, for fuel. Where I'm going with this, Ryan, is I think I agree with you. I think maybe the question is then, you know, is 75 hard right for us? Because we know that we are able to be disciplined and the better solution for us might be to just have non-negotiables. And I think a lot of people should sit yes. down and have maybe that conversation Maybe not do 75 hard, but where me, you, and Kirk, if he wants in, whoever wants in, we come up with each an individualized thing where it's like, y'all, we are going to hold each other accountable for this. And for this period of time, this is what we have to do. And because 
I there's so much value in it. That's why. Because there is a lot of value in going all or nothing for a period of time. Now, you not all or nothing. I would say going, well, not all or nothing, actually. If we have a little slip up, you you own it and you move on. But yeah, I, I think we, we really need to think about it like that, man, and, and go after it like that. Because I just see myself needing to to have more discipline more recently. And I just know it would be very valuable to just force myself to do these things again. Yeah, I agree with you. I've been struggling lately with just uh, prioritization, just pro- like assigning priority to tasks and adhering to that. I, you know, I have, um, I use ClickUp as a, as a project management software and it's, I'm able to not only create my task list, but I can assign priority. I can say high, medium, low, or just, you know, get done whenever. And I'll assign things as high priority. And then I realize at the end of the day, I go back and I'm like, I didn't, I didn't do that thing. Like I set that as high priority and I got, don't get me wrong. I, I didn't, I didn't blow everything off and just, you know, scroll through social media or, you know, go play video games. Like I had a productive day. I got things done. I crossed off tons on my to-do list, but I just, I didn't adhere to that sort of like, um, you know, hierarchy of, of priority that I, that I had set. So something that I hope to get out of whatever we decide to do is being better about adhering to the priorities that I assign things I have to get done because that's where my discipline, I, I agree with you. I feel like my discipline has been lacking in that regard. Um, and I would like to, I would like to be more, um, consistent in getting to the gym to get my workouts done. You know, don't get me wrong. I've stunt, almost every day so it's not like I'm I'm sitting on the couch watching TV but I want to get into the gym and s- adhere to you know the program that I've laid out more consistently so discipline is definitely something I need but that doesn't mean 75 hard and that all or nothing sort of style of of doing it is right for us at this point in time so it's interesting to sort of see the the, the dynamic yeah and I, for me, where I find myself slipping up, I think I already mentioned this, was I, I'll find excuses to not go to the gym or to eat a candy bar or something like that because I know, hey, you, my biggest goal right now is to run this 50 miles and be successful at it. Well, in order to do that, I don't always have to go to the gym. I actually don't even really need to lift at all. And so it's very easy for me. My runs are basically non-negotiable. Now that I'm 20 weeks out from this, I don't see myself missing a run. And if I miss it, I will make it up the very next day because I I know I may suffer that day if I don't get those runs in. But for the gym, it's harder because I don't have this looming task 20 weeks from now that I know will bite me. But the thing is, it, I think what's really going to drive me is the why. And there's, there's two whys here. One is I want to be the best athlete I can be for hybrid, for what we're doing, for these cheerleaders, for everybody that I train, because the better athlete that I am and the more that I train, the better I'm able to relay that information and encourage and inspire people to do it as well. The second why that I always used to ask myself when I was in my other job is, what are you going to think 30 years from now when you look back? You know, let's say I skip two workouts a week. 30 years from now, I might not even be a fraction of the person or the athlete that I could be had I not skipped those workouts and just been disciplined because that discipline will leak into other areas of my life. Not only that, but I'll be more fit. I'll look better. I'll feel better. And I'll be getting closer to my goals of being a great runner, a great trainer, a great business owner, and all these things. And so maybe as we're, we set these 
these tasks or priorities or whatever we want to call them for ourselves for whatever period of time, we really need to specify the why, especially the why and why we're prioritizing them in the way we are. Because when I have that reminder, hey, you don't want to run today or you don't want to go to the gym today. Well, what about hybrid? What about these athletes that you're going to train? Or, hey, what are you going to think 30 years from now if hybrid doesn't become the company that that you thought it could be and it only didn't become that because you were a little lazy that one day and because you were a little lazy that one day you were a little lazy the next day because it's like well it's just one day it's just and every day it's just one day and it adds up and then things don't turn out the way you want them to be yeah i think that's a that's a really great point to make because it's 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 the reason that you know, you have to find that reason outside of yourself as to, you know, why you're doing something. That's, that's, we've talked about that before. Finding your why is extremely important. And usually it's, it's external. I mean, everything starts internally and, 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 in my opinion, and, and, and a lot of the books that I've read, you know, I'm a firm believer that, that the outside world is just a reflection of the world that lives inside of you. And so you got to start there, you know, you have to start there and then, you're out, so you'll watch the world outside change, and and um, it's in, it's important to find that sort of impact that you can have in the outside world on other people's lives because that usually is is going to be really motivating for you um, and help you adhere to to you know whatever it is that you're trying to do. But you said a little bit ago, um, not when we were talking here on the podcast, but like earlier today or yesterday or something, you said you wanted to do 75 hard because you felt like you were in a slum. And I'm just curious, like when you say something like that, like what is a slum to you? And like, what are you thinking and feeling? And how does being in a slum like impact you on a daily basis with everything you have going on? Yeah. So my definition of a slump is probably very different than other people's definitions of a slump. For some people, a slump may be missing one workout in a week. For others, a slump may be I haven't worked out in months, which I've been in both of those places, honestly, I'm, I'm sure I've gone many, many months without lifting before. For me, what it's looked like is just maybe one or two workouts a week will get skipped. Um, almost every day, I might grab a candy bar or a cookie or something. I'll eat just, I'll, I'll go s sacrifice time doing things that I probably could have spent doing other things that that I need to be doing. And so that's kind of what the slump looks like for me lately. And what was your question there uh, after that? Oh, I was just curious how how you feel like being in a slump sort of like impacts your your daily life. Um, I, I know, like you just said, I have my own definition of being in a slump and like feeling a certain way. And, and I know I know I can I can start to notice it in like sort of daily things that are happening and I'm like, oh man, I'm I'm off. Like I'm feeling off. There's something wrong and I know it because of XYZ. So I just curious because I feel like a lot of people might not be cognizant of that. And it's really important to to know that about yourself, I think. And and there's something else that I can expand on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for my slump, it actually wasn't a slump where I'm feeling depressed or tired or like sluggish and not wanting to do anything. It was more of I noticed that habitually I was doing stuff that I know I shouldn't be doing habitually. So yeah, a candy bar once a week, who cares? But when you're grabbing it every day or when you're skipping workouts once or twice or, or, or three times in a week over the course of many, many weeks, and I was looking back and seeing this, it's like, yo, like you need to stop 
you need to stop. Like once every once in a while is okay, but when it, this stuff starts to become a habit, that's what I meant when I said I was in a slump. So, which is a a good thing, you know. I'm not in a terrible slump. Like I am ready to to do these things. It's just habit right now. It's a habit to skip. It's a habit to to eat like crap. And so I wanted to defeat those habits with 75 hard. And it is a great thing to defeat those habits and show you that you're you're. You can do more. They, they, there's so much more in the tank for, for you and that all those excuses for why you skipped the gym or why you ate that candy bar is all not true and just excuses. I think that's that's something that I, I've, uh, you know, it takes a long time to learn that about yourself. Like everybody has their own version of being in a slump or being down. And then like you said, it could be some form of depression. You could feel emotionally exhausted, physically exhausted, just mentally Um it, and and it's just it really it's to me something that Jim Rohn talks about and even Jordan Peterson. I really like this, and it's something that I have definitely kept in the back of my head now ever since I first heard it. And that's that um, you know there's there's winters just like we have seasons. There's change of seasons every year. Everything's cyclical, and one day you might be riding on a high, and then all of a sudden something happens and and it brings you down, and and that's just life. And I like the way that David Goggins says it um, to bring in another one of those people that has sort of an, uh, a take on this. And I think they all do because it's so important. David Goggins says, that's life testing you. And I'm sure you've heard him say that before. He's like, when things are rough, when you feel down, when you don't feel motivated, he's like, that's life testing you. And you can either you can either acknowledge that and say, I'm getting tested right now. Well, I'm going to... I'm going to beat it. I'm going to win. I'm going to um, surpass this this life test. Or you said you can let it be the thing that just keeps you bogged down and you don't ever get past it. And uh, Jim Rohn says, it's guaranteed. You, It's going to happen. It's going to happen here. It's going to happen here. It's going to happen again here. And you just have to know that after winter comes spring and then comes summer. He's like, it's that's how things happen. So when you're feeling like you're in a slump, sometimes it just takes acknowledging it saying this is life testing me and I know there's light at the end of the tunnel and I, I've definitely used that a number of times throughout my life um, that have just it's just and sure enough things turn around you know and, and all of a sudden some things good things start happening and then you have that momentum again and you're in a great place so um, I think it's it's good to have things like 75 hard to help maybe help get you out of that but acknowledging it is such an important part of being able to turn around any slump that you're facing in your life yeah, sometimes it's hard to acknowledge it, though, because you don't realize how much you're lying to yourself. So I'm pretty sure that when I was working at Shell probably the last couple weeks, I guarantee I skipped some workouts and stuff. And I was like, oh, well, you're going to take a month or two off and, and you're just going to be doing hybrid stuff and helping the coffee trailer. So you'll have a lot more time. You'll, you'll, make, you'll work out every day, probably twice a day, every single day. And then I get here and yes, I'm very busy. I'm doing a lot. I'm way busier than I expected, but I still have those excuses. Oh, when you get to Jacksonville and you fall into this routine with hybrid, you're literally going to be working at a gym. You'll be, we'll work out. You'll lift way more than the two times a week you lift right now. Don't worry about it. And it's like, wait, that's just not true. I'm just not prioritizing it correctly. I'm prioritizing laying down and watching TV for 30 minutes or I'm prioritizing sleep. You know, I think I really only need seven hours of sleep. Some of these nights that I've lived here, I've gotten eight, nine, and 10 hours. And it's like, man, I don't think you need that. Sometimes you do if you're making up a little bit, maybe the night before you're tired, or maybe you you lifted really intensely that day and you, you need a little more sleep. But I think I'm getting more than I need, or maybe I'm wrong. But 
I was able to function pretty dang well on seven hours of sleep every night in Houston. And now I'm getting more because I can. And it's like, well, wait a second, you know, don't, don't be so lazy and just and, and lay around as much. And my point with all that is sometimes it's hard to acknowledge it to yourself when you don't even realize you're lying to yourself. It's extremely difficult. That's one of the difficult things that I found about balancing travel, because now that we've been doing events in other places, other states, we have to travel. And when I'm not in my normal home setting, I found that I literally throw all of my routine out the window because I'm in a different place. I'm doing something else. And so what I've struggled to, re to, to sort of cope with is when I wake up in a new place, maybe it's an Airbnb, maybe it's a hotel, it doesn't change anything just because I'm not no, waking no, up in my own it doesn't. bed. Isn't that crazy? Why, why are you throwing everything that you do in a normal morning at home out just because you're somewhere different? It's so difficult. And that's why I find that's the number one uh, way that I find myself getting into a slump is if I've been traveling a lot because I'm thrown off my routine. But I feel like that's something that we kind of accept. It's kind of like saying that you're going to eat a bunch of junk over the holidays. It's like, why? Just because, just because there's a, you know, the holidays are about family and, and you're with family and whatnot. It's like, why do you have to eat a bunch of desserts? Like, <laughs> it's not a good excuse. Um, and I'm not saying don't enjoy yourself, but you shouldn't just be like, oh, it's the holidays. Well, like here come, here comes all the, all the, the extra pounds. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Um, and, and same thing, when I travel, I look at myself, I'm like, why am I waking up like not at my normal time? Why am I not journaling? Why am I not meditating? Why am I not doing everything I would do at home? If I know that I'm going to get done traveling and then feel like I'm, I'm like lost. I get back home and I'm like, what do I, like, where have I been? What have I been doing? Yeah. What is and then it's harder to get back in. It's so much harder to get back in the gym and stuff after that. It's so tough. And that's, that's something that I've already, like, I got a membership at Planet Fitness so that I could wake up anywhere and find a Planet Fitness within 15, 20 minutes of me just because I know we're going to be traveling. And that was the sole purpose. It wasn't a gym membership to, you know, start going to the gym. I could have kept going to the gym that I was, but I was like, I know that now waking up anywhere I am, I'm going to adhere to my routine and uh, I need, I need a gym to get into. So, um, it's just funny. Yeah, you, you, that was a great point. I feel like I found myself doing the same thing with all the travel. I just like letting myself slip, and I'm like, why? Like, why am I do? Check yourself. Like, I'm being lazy. Well, that's the cool thing about 75 hard is when you're doing 75 hard, no matter where you are, before you go to bed that night, you better have gotten two 45 minute workouts in, one outside. And when I I traveled a lot during 75 hard, and I, I mean, I drove to and from Florida from Texas, so I had. 12, 14 hour drives, 10 hour drives. And I had to still get those workouts in. And what if I wasn't on 75 hard, I'm sure once I got to Florida, when I was on vacation, I wouldn't have been in the gym very much. I, I may have, who knows? I may have not worked out at all. And so that's a good thing about things like that. But you know, it's good that we're talking about it and we're aware of it. Cause this is me putting things off into the future again, but hopefully when we're together, we're diligent about holding each other accountable about what we're doing and how we're prioritizing what we're doing. Yeah, I agree. I think it's very motivating to have people in the same area that are as conscious of, uh, as you of their priorities and goals because then you're, you see, let's say you see me waking up at the same time every day doing the same thing or vice versa. I'm going to be like, dang, I, I, I'm, Ryan is killing his, his routine right now and he's just so disciplined with it. Like I, I got to check myself. Am I doing the same thing? And being around it, it's, it's, that's, that's an athlete mentality. Like when you are in a sport 
and somebody's better than you. You know, I'm the type of person that like I that sparks that internal competition with myself where I'm like, well, if they can do it, I can do it. Like, let's get to work. And I think that is going to be for sure extremely motivating and get us to really like buckle down and start um, both working adamantly towards whatever goals it is that we set for ourselves once you get here um, to push it off, like you said. <laughs> I, I really think that's that's where we're going to thrive, honestly, where our differences. We're going to thrive in, in seeing our differences in each other, the, the good things. And like your eating habits, for example, I'm sure I will start to take on a lot of your eating habits, which I'm going to be very thankful for because I'm not very good at cooking. Well, I don't want to say that. I don't want to label myself, but I don't know too much about cooking. I really don't. And so that's going to help a lot. And just the different things that that, that we do, it's going to help seeing the other person do it and and for for sure. I'm stoked, man. I, I what are we? Ten days out from when it's the 14th. I get there on the 23rd. So yeah. is that nine days? Nine days. That's crazy. Nine days, and we are going to both be together at Hybrid HQ. It's pretty wild. Chilling right here, podcasting. Not necessarily in this room, but in this building. So cool enough. Yeah, I um, uh, you know, show me your friends, show, and I'll show you your future. That I, I love that quote. I don't know who said that first, but it's just so real and like. For ex- this is the perfect example, you know, you're going to be up here and uh, we're going to be around each other and it's all about just who you surround yourself with is who you're kind of going to turn into and if you have people who are, you know, eat unhealthy, don't go to the gym, don't don't really prioritize uh, bettering themselves, like that's, it's, you're probably going to fall into the same thing but if I have somebody like you who's constantly, you know, cha- setting the bar higher and higher. Yep, it, and that's just- exactly how I've been looking at it with you. I'm like, man, if we're there and we're both just going like this, it's it's going to be so synergistic. It, it really will be. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, man. I mean, good place to wrap up. Um, we have uh, we have a lot more to discuss. And when you're in person, I know I know I love that first podcast that we had in person. So I'm excited to do that. But um, you know, once you get up here, it's really going to get rolling. And and hopefully, we'll, we'll figure out whether we're doing 75 hard or just kind of our own uh, non-negotiables, which is probably what I think we're going to end up doing. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm sure it probably will be. Well, thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week. And the week after that, we will be in person in Jacksonville at Hybrid HQ. Maybe it'll be appropriate when we get there to, I don't know, make a little vlog, show them the place. Maybe once we get it built out a little bit. You know, I was just about to say that the I do encourage people who are interested. It's funny. I've seen a lot of hybrid cheer people going on to becoming hybrid now because we finally broke 100 followers yes i know man Dude, we we're at 99 for months months bro i just sat at eight i just hybrid cheer now is 900 just broke 900 which is insane and uh, i've noticed a lot of people going to becoming hybrid but if if people are interested in actually seeing sort of more behind the scenes uh we already got one vlog up on the youtube channel uh, becoming hybrid on youtube um and that's definitely going to be something we put more out on um because i've already got a couple videos in the queue so if anybody wants to see sort of how the space is developing, what Ryan and I are doing on a day-to-day basis as opposed to just when we sit down and podcast and recap, um, I, I highly suggest following the YouTube channel or Instagram. It's going to be a good a good resource for that. Um, just if you're curious. If you're not, I don't care. You know, <laughs> Do your thing. <laughs> I'm not telling anybody to do it. I'm saying if you're interested, it's there. Yeah, yeah. Well, y'all, thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week. Next week. Peace out. Then the music plays, whatever, however our song goes.